Support for this podcast comes from Outdoor Supply Hardware, inviting listeners to OSHA's big anniversary sale celebration, May 20th through the 26th, featuring daily deals, $15,000 in giveaways, 20% off store-wide on Saturday and Sunday, and a lot more. Learn more at OSH.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment, and if you love what you're hearing... And I know you love what you're hearing. Please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Rachel Myro. We are spending this week marking a year with the coronavirus pandemic. It's revealed so many broken things in America today, not the least of which is the way so many seniors are either trapped in bad congregate living situations or isolated and uncared for at home. Because of shelter-in-place mandates, the things that matter most to a lot of people, like family visits and religious worship, have happened online or not at all. Let's spend this hour looking at how the last year has gone and forward to the ways we can do better, especially now that the vaccine is rolling out. All that's next on Forum, right after this. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. Welcome to Forum. I'm Rachel Myro. Loneliness and isolation. Social distancing during this pandemic has meant our parents and our grandparents have been unable to physically go to places that meant the most to them. Family gatherings, houses of worship, senior centers. Many seniors were literally locked down in assisted living facilities or nursing homes for months at a time while desperate family members could do little more than call on the phone. Let's talk about what it's been like and where it's all going. We've got with us first Lupe Bravo, volunteer and member at Onlock Senior Center in San Francisco for more than 15 years, where she's a volunteer dance teacher. Hi, Lupe. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. How has your pandemic been? Well, lonely and uh, uh, missing my friends and all the activities that I used to have before all this started. How, how have you kept your sanity? How have you kept in touch with the people you love? Well, uh, by phone calls, um, people call me and also... Uh, 
you know, I've had the vaccination, so now my grandchildren come to my, you know, they're adult, young adults. They may come and visit me, and we stay six feet apart, and we sit and visit for a little bit, and the, and that's about it. And and then I go to the senior center every day, and that's my only outing for the day. And my communication with the, some of the staff members there when I pick up a lunch. Yeah. And, you know, you bring up uh, something important to note, I think, which is, you know, over the course of the last year, things have gotten tighter or looser, depending on whether we were in the midst of a surge or not. That's right. Absolutely right. And it's been it hasn't always been easy. So I I try to develop a lot of creativity at home and keep myself occupied at home. So uh, have you, what, been baking sourdough bread, uh, started succulent gardening? What have you been doing? Well, uh, not not uh, not too much cooking, but I, I still do some cooking. I have my garden and uh, that I love, and so I go out into my garden and talk to my flowers and look at my plants. And I, I love music and singing, so I... Um, I have a little Alexa that my daughter gave me, and oh, I enjoy that every day with music and dance, and so I dance around the house by myself, <laughs> and that's a form of ec- exercise. I do exercise every day of dance exercise, uh, uh, because I, yeah. I taught that at, at 30th Street for 15 years, you know, so... And That's what I like to do. Singing I, and dancing. Singing and dancing. I'm a showbiz kind of old lady. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Dancing by yourself. Uh, I'm sure we've got that music somewhere. But it might, let let tell me what you've been doing to keep in touch with with friends. Uh, you know who who may not be who may not be as uh, limber as you are. May not be as up on the technology. Do, do you basically have like a call schedule? It's Tuesday, so I must be calling Bob. Well, I my fr- yeah, I do have calls. I have a, you know, I have many friends, but I have like a couple of very special friends and we are in contact every week. And we just kind of talk about life, the new the new world order, the way we live now uh instead of what we lived like a year ago, you know, when everybody was out and about and gabbing and eating, socializing and having lunch together and just doing all kind of activities. So we 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 reminisce. I hear that. Have you got the vaccine yet? Oh yeah, I got both of them. And uh uh it's interesting because uh I uh, had been waiting for my uh well my you know the health facility my uh, insurer Kaiser, but the the senior center gave out a, a bulletin on all these different places where you could get the vaccine, and Moscone was one of them. And so uh, I went down, uh, my grandchildren took me down, drove me down, and uh, I got both vaccines, so I have been vaccinated. And, and what's what's the first thing that. What's the first thing you did once you felt safe to, to come back into the world? Well... <laughs> Actually, you know, it was great just to be able to go to my local supermarket, Safeway, and shop. (laughs) You know, that sounds silly, but really, that was a big deal for me, to be able to walk a 
two, three blocks to my local Safeway store and just kind of look around the store. I haven't gone downtown or anything, but that will be my next journey. (laughs) Oh, I hear that. Yeah, I suppose, you know, if other people are shopping for you or you're getting care packages uh, to fill the the kitchen, uh, you know, that so often you just don't get that thing you were hoping they were going to (laughs) get. Yes, you know, uh, the lunch program at uh, 30th Street Unlock, it's just a healthy, nutritious meal, and and it's just perfect for me. And, uh, I, and, then, and as I said before, that's my only time of socializing. I see people there that are picking up their lunch, and it's amazing. Everything is six feet apart. Out on the sidewalk, you, you're standing six feet apart apart until you're ready to walk in and pick up your lunch. It's so efficient. You know, I, I'm, I'm thankful for for all of that. It, it, it makes my life just joyful. And just to see the young staff members that work there, they're so dedicated to the seniors. You know, you, you mentioned earlier uh, dancing. Uh, are, can you anticipate returning to teaching dance classes anytime this year? Uh, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm I am finished with that. I'm not going to do that anymore. But I will. I won't lead. But I, if they start up again, I will join. Ah, okay. Well, <laughs> that's an opening. Uh, you know, what would you tell people? We're, we're going to be taking calls from lots of people all over the Bay Area talking about their pandemic. What, what would you tell somebody who's like, I just feel at a loss. I feel like my horizons have closed in on me after a year. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm losing the will to live. No. Oh, well, I think there's a future for all of us, you know, and uh, we have to think positive. We, and it's not easy to think positive, believe me, because in the beginning, oh, when I missed all my friends, I actually would, would cry, you know, but uh, you get, I've got over that. And what I do is just think about all, I'm, I just think about all the wonderful things that I still have. And, if, and that helps a lot, believe me. I mean, for me, even just going, walking one block away to pick up a lunch is, is just so special. Yeah. Because I get to see the staff there. And then, you know what? They're so loving, too. When I come in, it's like, hi, Loopy, how are you? So why not go and get that kind of a, a you know, greeting? They're just lovely. Well, I'm I'm going to go out on a limb here and, uh, and say I, I think it's also you get the energy back that you put out, and it sounds like you put out a lot of good energy. Well, yeah, I, I, I try. You know, like I say, I'm just a healthy old lady, and I've, I've been blessed with that. And so, uh, and I love people too, you know, so I look forward to, I don't know what it'll be like when we open up again, but I do look forward to it. Because, you know, I we have my activities, I like to sing, I, I can go back to my choir and and um, I have two choirs at different centers, but I uh, I like to sing. So, you know, I'm looking forward to, to, to joining choirs, my choirs again. Well, Lupe Bravo, what a pleasure talking with you this morning. Uh, I have no doubt you are charging forward into the next year uh, with the right attitude and a great set of dancing feet. Are you... <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. I I appreciate the call. And I just tell everybody, just be cheerful. And, you know, we're going to go back to some kind of normalcy. And, and also, 
we have to take have that vaccine. We've got to take it. And that's what I encourage the seniors to do. Well, thank you again for that. And I'm going to put the call out to you, the listener. How have you fared during this last year? Maybe you're a senior. Maybe you have a, a senior or many seniors in your life that you love and uh, want to take care of. Tell us about how this past year has been. Ask us about the year going forward. Call us at 866-733-6786. Now that you're ready for that number, You can also get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. You can email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Let's bring on some more guests. We've got with us three people. Dr. Louise Aronson, geriatrician at UCSF, author of Elderhood, Redefining Aging, Transforming Medicine, Reimagining Life. We have Nicole Howell, Executive Director for Ombud. Services of Contra Costa, Solano, and Alameda counties. Karen Lincoln, Associate Professor of Social Work at the University of Southern California. Uh, Dr. Louise Aronson, why don't we start with you? Uh, you know, I, it, it really bears saying, even though uh, it, it has been said many times over the last year that this pandemic has directly impacted older adults disproportionately. Without a doubt, Um, although it's really interesting, we assume that all of that is biological, um, and part of it is clearly there's a a biological vulnerability to this virus. If you look at um, the CDC actually has these shocking graphs of uh, hospitalizations and death, and if you look at the oldest age group, people over 85 or 85 and older, the the risk for death is 7,900 times greater than that of a 17-year-old. That's colossal. But I think we also have to face the fact that we have had policies, um, you know, many governors are in trouble for this uh, currently, including our own. When people were stuck at home, Governor Newsom wanted to stop services to people at home in New York, Governor Cuomo, to free up hospitals for people who apparently, you know, mattered more was sending people with COVID into nursing homes where outbreaks happened. Well, I'm going to take a moment now to encourage people once again to call in with their stories and their questions for Dr. Louise Aronson, Nicole Howell, and Karen Lincoln. Maybe you'd like to share how the pandemic has been for you and your parents. Call us at 866-733-6786. Get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. But whatever you do, stay with us. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
You're listening to Forum. I'm Rachel Myro, and we're talking about how this past year of the pandemic has gone for seniors with Dr. Louise Aronson, geriatrician at UCSF, Nicole Howell, executive director for Ombudsman Services of Contra Costa, Solano, and Alameda, Karen Lincoln, associate professor of social work at the University of Southern California. Karen, we were hearing Dr. Aronson say uh, before the break um, something along the lines of this is a classic case of the cure being almost worse than the disease. The lockdowns have been so hard on people's mental and emotional health. Um, yes. Hi, this is Dr. Lincoln. Um, yes, I, I agree. So just to orient Um, us. I primarily work with older African-Americans, and clearly what we're seeing in our communities is an increase in in loneliness and depression. Um, I'm actually concerned about something that we haven't talked about much uh, in the media, and that is when older adults are allowed to return to senior centers and their their normal lives. We heard from um, Ms. Lupe about being able to go to the senior centers and pick up lunch and have some level of interaction, but our senior centers are still closed. Um, and so one of the concerns I have is just, you know, the physical decline that many of our seniors have experienced by not being able to interact and be active and what that means for them when it's time to transition to a more active life. That's a very good point. You know, like, I, I think it's true for everyone, but especially for uh, for seniors, you know, there's a sense that, you know, the walls closed in for a whole year. And and now, you know, what does the next year look like? Yeah, that is a big concern. I think that we, you know, we have to maintain hope. Um, but we also have to understand that, you know, particularly with African-American older adults, there's a lot of heterogeneity. So some have fared well. Um, We tend to hear more stories about those who aren't faring so well, but I think, you know, because the experiences are so different, you know, we don't, we can't quite capture what people have been experiencing over this, this past year. And so I'm really interested to see, you know, how well people have fared and what some of the new, maybe emerging concerns that we might have about our seniors that we didn't see before, you know, particularly the increase in obesity, and substance use and cognitive decline, you know, for those who had COVID, you know, what some of those long-term effects might be, you know, for those who are vaccinated, for those who are not. So I think there's a lot of uh, things to consider um, over the next year and, and how some of the impacts that we're currently experiencing this year will pan out and manifest in the future. Nicole Howell, you know, I, I just read a headline saying something along the lines of like the the average American uh, during the pandemic has gained something like 30 pounds. <gasps> oh, my gosh. Uh, you know, I, I and I imagine it's only been worse or, you know, <laughs> I imagine many people have had it worse in congregate living facilities where, you know, many of them have been more or less confined to their rooms for long stretches of time. Mm-hmm. Well, I just want to first of all say thank you for not asking me what my personal weight gain was during the <laughs> shelter in place because I, like everyone else, you know, medicated a little with some food. This is a safe um, space, Nicole. Yes. I appreciate that. Thank you. I think that what I actually saw and what my team members actually saw was a weight loss for residents that um, food and dining is a communal experience and that for so many months, residents were confined to their room and they didn't have that shared conversation and engagement 
And that experience just became less joyful for them. Uh, They didn't have the same treats that you and I maybe had access to. Uh, There was such an emphasis on infection control and less of an emphasis on life and enjoyment during a really challenging time we had in the world. You know, we've got uh, phone calls lighting up uh, the boards here at KQED. So I'm going to go straight away to Rose in Danville. Hi, Rose. Good morning. Good morning. So um, I can really relate to what your last um, guest just said um, about food. Um, My 97-year-old mother lives in an assisted living facility in Billings, Montana, Um, I'm a travel nurse here on work assignment. I work hospice. Um, This is my third time working with this community. But when when I was in Montana last year in June, I wasn't able to go see her. Her facility was on complete lockdown. We couldn't even wave from the parking lot. Um, As a hospice nurse, what's been the strangest thing for me, maybe strange isn't the right word, saddest thing for me, is not being able to hug my patients and their families. I mean, I, I completely understand that, and I and I empathize with families who have a, a loved one dying of COVID in the ICU and they can't see them. Hospice nurses, we're in the community, we're in the homes with these families and and our patients, and we can't touch them. Has it, it been, has it been getting better, Rose? Now that we see more older Americans getting the vaccine. Yes, yes. Our COVID positive numbers have gone down tremendously, um, as well as what we have, what we call COVID precautions, where there might have been a family member that may have been exposed. We've been really, really careful. And so, yes, it has gotten better, but we're still, we're still not allowed to hug our families. Yes, of course, we're going to touch our patients. You know, we're going to listen to their heart and lungs and hold their hand, but it's just, yeah. And, and the, the food thing, food is love. Food is celebration. Food is restaurants. Food is holidays. Food is, you know, being with people you care about. And to see some of these elderly folks who, who can't share a meal with a loved one in their end days. It's, it's, it's just heartbreaking. Tugging. It is. Indeed. Yeah. Rose, I, I want to thank you for doing what you do every day and, and for sharing your story with us. Uh, and uh, let's let's keep uh, rolling through because we have a lot of people who do want to share stories. Uh, Bill writes, who advocates for seniors who live alone and have no family? How do they get to and from the, doct- uh, from the doctor? Uh, Dr. Uh, Lincoln, can you answer that? Yeah, so with with our seniors, in terms of food, um, we actually have really good partnerships with the senior centers and the directors here. And so a lot of the food is is being delivered. Um, And the senior centers, although they aren't gathering places right now, they still have transportation. You know, they're still able to provide services to seniors um, because they still have their vans and they're still operating and they still have staff. And so for those who are isolated, who at least are connected to these community-based resources, they do, you know, have some level of support in order to transport them to, you know, their medical visits. And also, I'm sure that hospitals and clinics also have 
um, their own ways of getting their patients to and, and from their homes into the hospital. And so, you know, we really are relying on these community-based services for the seniors who are particularly isolated um, in order to get their health care, because telehealth, as you know, is inaccessible um, to many of the seniors in you know, lower income communities and many African-American communities and older adults in general. Very well said. Uh, let's take another call now. Peter in San Francisco. Yes, hi. It's Peter Warfield. And uh, I, I certainly agree a lot with what folks have said and all the personal things that are harder to do, getting a cup of coffee with a friend, seeing anybody and so on. But the, the two biggest things I would say, information access and just civic life are terribly damaged. Uh, I'm used to going to the library for computer uh, and also in particular for newspapers, for magazines. I've calculated that if I just buy only the New York Times and the Chronicle Daily for a month, it's $178 a month. And I can't even be sure that when I get to the newsstand that they are going to have them there. The library, of course, had it all day and for weeks afterwards and even for months. Uh, also had access to magazines, uh, reliably latest magazine, New Yorker, The Nation, Atlantic, all those magazines. I don't even know where to buy them, let alone see them. Uh, so the the library is a big loss. And the way that they're operating very largely, unfortunately, as co-founder of Library Users Association, I'm concerned that the folks who don't have access to computers are left out from communications. For example, they give weekly updates and monthly ones to folks who have email. But if you don't have email, if you're one of 20,000 people on their mailing list who want stuff mailed, they have sent two things in the entire year of COVID that, I, that I'm familiar with. And then civic life, a lot of government and private agencies, but especially government ones, used to be able to go to the office 40 hours a week at City Hall or someplace else, used to be able to call 40 hours a week. All that has stopped. And many of them don't even acknowledge that you can get in touch with them by phone. They say, uh, nobody's in the office. Uh, we're you have to find the yeah. phone number online, don't you? And exactly. <laughs> and you have to send an email. They tell you send an email. Yeah. Well, if you don't have a computer, and there are a lot of older people, the city has, an, has, has made a study, the, uh, data, uh, the data equity strategic plan, and that showed with statistics that who are the folks that are least likely to have access or good access to the Internet? Seniors, minorities, uh, and the folks that are on the poorer end of things. Over 100,000 in San Francisco as of about two years ago or so. Well, Peter, thank you for raising these issues. Dr. Aronson, you know, it also goes without saying that just because uh, your older loved one has a computer, that's not to say that it's the software is up to date, that they know how to use it, uh, that they know how to use it to access the things they want and need. Uh, if, if I hear one more person say, oh, well, you just get your mother an iPad, <laughs> you know, like... There seems to be a general uh, lack of awareness in our society that we are not set up to care well for seniors, for a lot of them. It's actually completely shocking, um, <laughs> the degree to which we're really not set up. And in a city like San Francisco, where we have about one person in five is a senior, um, I also, you know, I'll just digress for one second to express the full range of seniors we are focusing here primarily, um, or at least in our conversation thus far, 
on um, people who have struggled and, and who have less access. But I think we have to realize the huge diversity of seniors. Um, and a lot of the studies of the isolation um, have shown a great range that in many ways, uh, you know, as we heard um, from uh, the, the senior you had at the beginning of the show, that some people have really adapted and thrived, you know, decades of experience adapting has been great and many have adapted to technology. But I think one of the things we don't realize is when you make technology for people of a certain age, it's sort of by, of, and for. The first iPhone was made to fit in a back jeans pocket of a male. And it was only later they realized that females would use them more if they were different sizes and shapes. And something similar happens with age. That said, we have seen so many more older adults getting onto technology um, and using it through community-based organizations, through health systems. But would it be easier if, if people were designing it with them in mind and not just with five-year-olds playing computer games? Absolutely. Um, we've created a technological society, but we haven't really thought about how to include everyone. Victoria writes, uh, what the pandemic exposed was blatant ageism in our society. The word senior is used as a monolith that spans those in nursing homes as well as 60-somethings that are working online. Please, let's change the vocabulary and expectations of those over 50. Uh, Nicole Howell, I, I don't want you to get lost here in this conversation. What feelings does that evoke for you, uh, Victoria's comments there? Well, I think it's so interesting because I think that assumes that the idea of senior is negative. I know when I say to my parents, like, you're an older adult, they're like, I'm not old. And they have a negative connotation that applies that, whereas I do not. And I feel like it's just a description in the same way that being a teenager is from, you know, 13 to 19. I do prefer the term older adult, but I think more importantly to allow seniors to define themselves but I think that she's right in that um, COVID didn't, you know, bring about new challenges in that it just exposed the real longstanding issues within our senior systems in that we were not set up to respond to the needs of diverse seniors. Many seniors have, as you said, have a lot of access to technology. Many do not or do not want it. But we need to understand the full range of experiences in that conversation. And, and I hear her point that we have for so long associated um, being a senior with not having the capabilities to make your own decisions. I think that's the real issue that we need to see aging as a distinct uh, range in our, in our lives, as Dr. Aronson has said in her book, that it's really just a new developmental stage. Carl writes... Can I piggyback oh, on that? Yes, absolutely. Go ahead. <laughs> so naturally, I agree with Nicole completely, but I think we have to see the range and we have to appreciate. So, for example, um, I work at UCSF and our chancellor, our dean, um, my chair, all of these people are seniors. So you have seniors in that category and you have seniors who have been isolated in a single room occupancy hotel for a year, you know, maybe losing weight because they don't have access to food. There is a range. Um, sometimes when people push back against the language, they're also pushing back or expressing their fear for the more advanced stages of old age, where we do all have more challenges, functional, medical, sometimes cognitive, sort of that distinguish between people feel sometimes okay about being an elder, but they don't like the term elderly. But at some point, 
if we all live long enough, we will become elderly. And I think the better approach is one in which we create a society in which it's okay, in fact, good to live into your elderhood and to live to be elderly. But to do that, we would need a society set up for that. And what, what I have learned deploying with the public health departments um, locally and at the state level is that we have huge built out systems for all different aspects of adult and child lives. And we have almost nothing for older adults. In fact, the people on my team um, dealing with older adults in San Francisco, um, all but one came from other sectors of public health and had to learn about older adults. There literally was no infrastructure. And let me just say, once again, one in five San Franciscans is an older adult. So when you have huge systems responsible, responsible for our well-being with no knowledge skills um, about a whole segment of our population, you have a problem. That's been part of the recipe for disaster that has made things worse this year. Doctor, am I right in thinking that even pre-pandemic, there was a, a desperate shortage in California of geriatricians? There is a national shortage of geriatricians, and I think it's part and parcel of why people don't like any of the words for being old. You know, we we, we sort of inculcate people, we, we indoctrinate them, we acculturate them to this notion that old is bad. Um, there are ways in which old age brings disappointments, but it brings so many joys and opportunities, too. I will say those opportunities skew towards the privileged and not the, you know, the less privileged as at every stage of life. Um, but we really seem to tell a single story of old age. And then we're so afraid of that single story that we perpetuate it with our policies. So, for example, we know that nursing homes with lower staff um, have worse outcomes. There was an article in the, in the New York Times this weekend that you can get nursing homes with five-star ratings with um, long histories of maggots and rape. We see this all across California. And what has the California Department of Public Health been doing? They've been issuing waivers so that facilities don't have to have enough staff. That also correlates with more COVID cases and more COVID deaths. So the government has been complicit in this. And that's part of a society where the people who are old can't own that and then take their power and their regular human rights. We need systems for elderhood just as we already have for childhood and adulthood. You're listening to Dr. Louise Aronson, geriatrician at UCSF. Nicole Howell, executive director for Ombudsman Services of Contra Costa Solano and Alameda, and Dr. Karen Link, an associate professor of social work at the University of Southern California. Are you a senior? Do you have seniors in your life you love? Give us a call at 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786, or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com.
You're listening to Forum. I'm Rachel Myro, and we're talking with Dr. Louise Aronson, geriatrician at UCSF, Nicole Howell, Executive Director for Ombudsman Services of Contra Costa, Solano, and Alameda, and Dr. Karen Lincoln, Associate Professor of Social Work at the University of Southern California, about... Uh, What else? This past year of pandemic and the year ahead now that we've got the vaccine rolling out. Let's go to a call to start with. Let's go to Susan in Palo Alto. Hi. Um, Several years ago, we bought my or I bought my mother-in-law a laptop. Everyone thought I was crazy. She's she was 84. She had just had some mini strokes and lost her ability to write, pay her bills. And she was so frustrated because she was so smart. And it took a while to teach her the concept of enter, you know, push the enter button. This was one Saturday. And so we went back home and I call her on a Monday and she said, well, you ruined my life. And I said, (laughs) what? (laughs) And I said, what do you mean? And she says, well, I just wasted the day playing Trivial Pursuits on Yahoo. (laughs) I thought, oh, well, that's good. (laughs) And I called her on a Thursday, and she said, oh, it was wonderful. I've traveled all over the world. I've been to Monaco, and I've been to Paris, and I've traveled to Louvre, and I've seen all these wonderful paintings. Well, in six months' time, she regained all of her ability to write and her letters to us, and we could CC her because that was the main reason we felt we were leaving her out and being able to send photographs. And, uh, and she totally regained her, uh, her ability to, to pay her bills and write her letters by hand and her letters to us, which were stumbling typing were completely fluid uh, at the end of six months. And she lived to the age of 94. And when she died, we found, a little notebook that was uh, list, list after list of favorite websites. It was so touching. Wow, Susan, thank you for that that heartening story. Um, a, a reminder that uh, just because you're older doesn't mean you can't uh, engage with technology. Matthew writes, I'm a 63-year-old single man living in rural Sonoma County. I've noticed in my social network that those who are more comfortable with tech have fared better. Can your guests comment on the silver digital divide that has become so apparent during the crisis? What works in terms of relatives assisting in setting up, for example, a Zoom meeting. Uh, Dr. Lincoln, you know, it it strikes me that, you know, so much of the time, it's not just about getting a device for uh, an elderly relative, but making sure that they have the tech support they need to utilize that device. That is true. And it's been very difficult um, to do that. So in, in our communities, we do have a few senior centers who have computer rooms and assistance and Some of those spaces are supported. Um, Some of those spaces are are not. But yes, that is definitely the challenge. You can you can you you might be able to get a device in an older adult's or senior's hand, but to teach them how to use it is is always tricky. The savings grace for us, at least, is that we know that you know most African Americans, although may not have a laptop or computer or access to the internet, have a phone. And so, and many of our older adults live in multi-generational households and extended family member households where there are younger people 
who are part of that household, who can provide that kind of support. And so I think, you know, we, we need to sort of look at what are the supports within our communities and even within our own home to ensure that many of our seniors are getting access to technology. And again, one of the savings grace is that we have young people who also live in, in these homes and we have access to our cousins and our nieces and our grandchildren um, that are very proficient in, in using the internet. And so that's been, a, uh, again, a savings grace for many of the seniors in our communities. Nicole Howell, I mean, it, it's it's a totally different story, or at least has been this last year, with seniors who are living in, in congregate facilities where just to save people's lives, they've had to have everybody on lockdown. There's there's no in and out access for anybody who doesn't work at those facilities. And, and the employees are way too busy taking care of basics, to, you know, to step in and provide tech support for, say, my mom who's having trouble using the TV remote. She doesn't know from batteries. I mean, you know, I, I is it about to get better given that, you know, so many people in congregate living facilities have finally been vaccinated? So there's a lot of hope in congregate living facilities, especially as Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services and California Department of Public Health issued new guidance allowing indoor and outdoor visits. And we're expecting that very shortly from California Department of Social Services. That's really important. There's a lot of hope. There's also a lot of residual fear in that for 12 months, we have asked staff members who are horribly underpaid to stand at the gates of these these buildings and fight the disease with sanitizer and limited staff. And so we have to acknowledge that it isn't simply a run back to joy, but there is trauma through this last 12 months and that we have to authentically deal with that and address that. But yes, in general, there is hope as we move forward. But I would say again that we as consumers, now we know what long-term care looks like and the errors, the, the challenges in that. It's made national news since February of 2020. We as consumers and as advocates for older adults need to now go back and say, okay, these things are going to happen again. What is it we need to do to create the aging congregate system of the future? How is it that we can create a responsive uh, systems for the workforce and, in, and workers who can meet the needs, not just only the physical and medical needs of the seniors, but also their emotional needs? Because these folks really are more than just someone who helps to change a bed or get, provide a medication. They really are the closest friends and connectors to these seniors. And so going forward, I hope that consumers look to see what do we want as we age and what do the folks around us need? You know, gosh, there is so much there to unpack, Uh, you know, starting with the idea. uh, No, you know what? Starting with the idea of trauma. Dr. Aronson, how do we begin to address trauma? How do we acknowledge what's just happened so that we can go forward from this place? Well, I think giving spaces for people to talk about this and having opportunities for people to um, express their needs or take the time they need And that includes um, what Nicole mentioned was the workers. So we speak a lot in this country about family values. Um, And and I realize that means many different things, but we then say it's too hard to care for our aging relatives and we put them in facilities. And then we pay basically not a living wage, certainly in the Bay Area, to the people who are entrusted with that care that's so hard that many families can't or won't do it for obviously a huge variety of reasons from, you know, work and income, et cetera. But um, 
I think one of the best things we could do would be to actually pay people commensurate with the importance of the work they are doing. Um, we really need to look at our long-term care system because it has been um, just an egregious uh, area of, of social failings, like confluent failings this year. For example, um, when everybody was saying all health systems had full PPE, nursing homes didn't, that's technically part of the healthcare system. So you pay people not a living wage, you send them into some of the most dangerous places. Um, a lot of places weren't giving time off um, or paid sick leave, and these are people living right on the edge or leave once they got the vaccine so they can't afford to get the vaccine because then how are they gonna feed their children and make the rent? Um, <clears throat> I think that would be a key place to start. Um, anybody who designs one of these or votes related to them, think about, do you wanna move into one? There are some huge advantages, um, the social life, the connection. So in some, my mother lives in assisted living too, and she has a whole group of friends. Um, but I actually worry more about the people in her facility who are functioning much less well than she. How are they connected to people? Um, I think we, we've sort of assumed that, that older people can't use technology. Um, and for people at home, some of the best devices are the ones that don't require the internet, that use cell devices. So whether you're using a phone or an iPad linked to a cellular device, um, there are so many ways we could help people out as actually two huge studies in the past year have shown that low cost tech bait support really helps low income seniors. So, so many options, um, but acknowledging the flaws in our long term care system from community to nursing home would be a great place to start and really rebuild with oversight um, from the ground up and respect for the people who live there and the people who work there. We're hearing a lot uh, this morning about the need for systemic change. Carl writes, my wife of 50 years has been living in a memory care unit after years of neurological decline. She couldn't understand the pandemic and couldn't communicate with video or audio. For her, the world just disappeared without reason. She was confused and terrified, and her weight dropped to 96 pounds. The whole situation is killing me. I feel responsible, but I've been unable to get any commendations to visit her. All the joy is drained from my life, and I'm denied even the ability to just sit quietly with my partner. There is an inadequate effort to balance costs and benefits in special cases. We have to develop protocols for protecting the collective health and in institutions while finding ways to help impaired residents and their families maintain some degree of quality of life. Uh, Nicole Howell, I mean, this is this is Carl's story is the story of so many people in California over the last year and indeed around the world. Absolutely. And something I want to highlight is that people oftentimes don't know is that the kind of facility Carl is talking about, he and his wife are paying thousands of dollars a month for her to live there. That is a strain on any family financially, but that is so often the future of many of us. Um, as we in California haven't created a real responsive system to long-term care that actually meets our needs. And to his wife, I'm so sorry, Carl. I can only imagine how much you must miss just holding her hand. I want to say um, it's not enough for me to tell you that we're, I think we're a few days away from updated guidance. But what I would encourage you to do is to be telling your story to your local board of supervisors, your local assembly members, and asking them to reach out to Department of Social Services and really demanding an update in visitation guidance. Uh, 
Department of Public Health issued theirs last week, and we're told it's a few days away. But as you've heard, a few days is just far too long, and and we can no longer live in this place. The the time that they have lost is can never be made up. And so, Carl, I just say, I'm so sorry. Know that in that time, your long-term care ombudsman have been in the buildings, have been connecting with residents, uh, and we're here to support you in any way we can. So if you're having challenges getting into buildings after we're permitted to do so, please reach out to your local ombudsman office. Dr. Karen Lincoln, you know, I'm I'm wondering what I hear is, you know, that despite the desire for giant systemic change, we're still dealing with many different, uh, you know, complicated locally governed ecosystems. It's county by county what you may or may not be able to do for your loved one or have others do for them. That That's true. And, and I have to point out that most older adults live in the community. You know, they're not they're not in assistant living facilities. They're not in nursing homes. You know, and with African-Americans in particular, we're less likely to live in assisted uh, living facilities because of the expense. And I, I do sympathize and empathize with Carl, the last caller, because my mom also has dementia. She's living in the community. And it's been very, very difficult when someone has that level of confusion. And so I think because there's so many differences, county by county, city by city, state by state, in terms of you know, what should our response be, um, both in congregant living, and that includes senior housing, which has had very different mandates and directions, you know, compared to nursing home facilities and assistant living facilities with the seniors we work with who have no idea what to do. The managers who weren't given any mandates in terms of how to keep the seniors safe and the seniors being very confused in terms of do I use the elevator you know, what do we do when we have, you know, congregate mail stations where everyone's standing around, you know, to get their mail and to get their checks and, you know, laundry facilities? Like, what, what do we do? You know, there's a lot of confusion um, around how to keep yourself safe. And there's a lack of guidance, quite frankly, um, at the city, county and, and federal levels. And so I think this is a time for us to take all of these things into account and think about what lessons have we learned? You know, where are the gaps? You know, how might we fill them and who should be at the table to discuss what some of the solutions are moving forward? Ellen writes, I'm 72, a former longtime software engineer and female. I do everything online, banking, websites, reading news exclusively online, etc. I help others with online stuff. I run a couple of online interest groups. I am sick and tired of hearing about all these elderly people who have to be taught how to hit the enter key. Please get a clue and stop the ageism. Not all elderly people are online idiots. Uh, Dr. Aronson, I, I think we've been talking about this. You know, there, there is a wide spectrum of, of people, senior or elder, you know, whatever term you use. Every individual is different. And and I guess, you know, Ellen's comments and Carl's comments all point to the fact that, you know, whoever the elderly person in your life is, you need to respond to that person and their issues. Yeah, I mean, just like people of all ages, right? So, <laughs> I mean, I think Ellen's right. There's a huge range. Um, the people running our government are all seniors. The people running my institution are all seniors. Obviously, all of those people are technologically adept. That said, um, this was something that did not exist when the oldest people or even, you know, I mean, it didn't exist there was a computer the size of several city blocks at my university. That was it. And I'm in my 50s. So digital natives are by definition younger. This does change, you know, and will change with time. 
We also know that income makes a huge difference in access to technology. So study after study show that the oldest of um, older adults um, people from uh, lower income groups and people from minority groups, there's obviously a lot of overlap there because of historic injustice, are less likely to um, have technological skills. So so all those things are true at once. And, and she's right that we need to acknowledge both, both sets of older adults. Um, it does seem like the key point here is really acknowledging this diversity and creating a continuum through which people can age and from which people can age in different places. Um, I actually loved Dr. Lincoln's comment about um, senior housing because we saw in San Francisco a um, marvelous industriousness of a woman who runs uh, senior housing, um, I think mostly for Black Americans, and was trying to get help from public health to get them vaccinated the way we were vaccinating other people at congregate sites. And um, that finally was arranged, but she'd already figured it out for herself. Um, of note, if you look on, on websites from the CDC to the San Francisco Department of Public Health, you will see huge pullout sections for children and huge sections clearly uh, targeted at adults. But the older adult sections focus mostly on long-term care and are much smaller. And as Dr. Lincoln pointed out, the vast majority, indeed, you know, 97 to 99 percent of older people live in the community. So we need a system that's from home, wherever your home is, to facility. Um, and I think the legislature needs to deal with this. It's not at all clear that government organizations tweaking what currently exists will uh, make up for the issues that we've seen over the past year and, frankly, chronically. I, I do want to note, uh, if you're listening to this and you're a senior who needs to talk to someone, the Institute on Aging has a 24-hour toll-free friendship line one eight hundred nine seven one zero zero one six. I'm going to read that one more time. One eight hundred nine seven one zero zero one six. I want to thank all three of you for joining us today. Thank you for doing what you do, Dr. Louise Aronson, geriatrician at UCSF, Nicole Howell, executive director for Ombudsman Services of Contra Costa, Solano, and Alameda, and Dr. Karen Lincoln, associate professor of social work at the University of Southern California. Stay with us. Another hour of Forum is next with Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.